Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, what should Canadians expect from today's budget? We're going to get the budget that looks at the crisis that Canada's facing with the pandemic and the third wave and the worsening third wave and what's happening particularly in the, in the province of Ontario and the, the focus on continued help for Canadians who've been hardest hit. The federal government offers to help Ontario as it battles a third wave of COVID infections. Our government has offered to cover all of the costs and coordinate the movement of healthcare staff from other provinces to the front lines in Ontario, including using military aircraft to help deliver this help to Ontario. And Aaron O'Toole faces a backlash over his climate policy. I don't think there's a lot of satisfaction among conservative circles as what Aaron O'Toole announced, and he's trying to twist himself into to knots or pretzels um, trying to kind of justify why he's imposing a price on carbon after saying that he wouldn't. It's Monday, April 19th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for being with us today. Hi, Mark. Good to talk to you again. What do you expect from this afternoon's federal budget? There are little pieces that have been leaking out. Uh, what are you hearing? And, and what are some of the themes that you think will emerge from the first budget in more than two years? Yeah, it's become sort of commonplace now, eh, Mark, for little pieces to to leak out ahead of federal budgets. In this case, the little pieces are the big pieces, and I think that's important to watch for. I'm sort of looking for two things. I think we're really going to get two budgets. We're going to get the budget that looks at the crisis that Canada's facing with the pandemic and the third wave and the worsening third wave and what's happening particularly in the, in the province of Ontario and the, the focus on continued help for Canadians who've been hardest hit by the pandemic, so, you know, so watch for the extension of supports for, for businesses and for people who, who can't work uh, to continue, you know, through the summer or maybe well into the fall. And I think the government's going to use language that suggests that uh, the support packages are open-ended, that no matter what happens in the pandemic, if we get even worse, if we get more waves that uh, the government is, Justin Trudeau is going to have your back till the waves uh, stop crashing uh, against Canadians. So that's that's one thrust. And then, you know, the next part, sort of budget part two, I call it, is, is going to be all about uh, after the pandemic. You know, uh, aspirational language about moving forward. Uh, we're going to get through it. Uh, you know, Canadians are all going to pull together and then it's going to be a time to rebuild and reimagine and what we want the economy to look like. And I think, you know, there, there's going to be so much spending, 70 to $100 billion. My, my thinking is the government's going to come out having conditioned Canadians to expect as much as $100 billion that they'll come out at the top end of that. And that it'll be all about, the, you know, spending will go everywhere and to some key areas. But I think the important focus will be on a national child care program, uh, probably some uh, increased funding and strings attached funding to, to long-term care homes. And a lot of money spent on a long-term plan for greening the economy and fighting climate change. So those are the things I'll be watching for. So those things you talk about in the context of after the pandemic, are they kind of commitments to spend money later or are they things that will be part of this fiscal year? Because we've seen that before, too, where a government can get aspirational about things, but but it's kind of past the past the current fiscal year, right? Yeah, I think you'd expect them to push that out a bit. I think uh, when Christian Freeland's talked about it, it's 70 to $100 billion in spending over three years. And I think the three-year 
you know, Mark probably start, you know, starts next fiscal year. Uh, and I think, uh, again, I think the, the focus early on is going to be the, the need to just get us to the next fiscal year. I don't think anybody can predict with any reliability what the state of the economy is going to be, what the state of the pandemic is going to be, um, you know, uh, late summer, or early fall. I mean, the wish, you know, the wish is that we roll out these vaccines, but we're seeing some troubles with some of the vaccines, some supply issues with some of the vaccines. So I think this is a real moving target. So I think you'll you'll see the government deal with, you know, uh, again, the here and now and talk about uh, spending that probably starts to, to rebuild the economy, I would think, next fiscal year, where you'll start seeing the, you know, the funding building blocks markers put down on the national child care program, you know, and, the, you know, uh, with lots of fair warning to the provinces that this is where the federal government wants to head and that'll be a negotiation process and you can expect pushback immediately after the budget's announced uh, with the plan on child care because a lot of provinces don't want the notion of strings attached. They want the money and they'll decide how to spend it. So you'll hear that. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, th- I think the, the big ticket stuff, uh, the government will say is going to come once we get through the pandemic. All right. Let's turn to the pandemic itself. Cause for a lot of people, particularly those living in Ontario, the end of the pandemic suddenly see- feels like it's a long time away after everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks, including, of course, the lockdown measures and and tougher restrictions that were introduced by Doug Ford's government last week. And then they backtracked on a couple of them in the intervening period. Um, And meanwhile, uh, the federal government is sending healthcare workers to Ontario to to help with the crisis there. Um, So uh, what's your sense of that move in particular and where things stand in Ontario and other parts of the country? It's a little bit, you know, you know, I've talked about this and one of the things we've talked about over the course of our many conversations about pandemic response has been to uh, be concerned about, you know, cracks in the approach and and cracks in the Team Canada approach. This feels a bit like, you know, to, to stay with, the, if I can, the hockey analogy, you know, there's, you've got a taxi squad in the federal government standing by. I mean, they've been frontline to providing aid and support, but this feels like we're turning a bit of a corner here where the, the, the province of Ontario has got this sort of two-track approach going where they say, they're saying they can handle it all and they're slamming Ottawa for the lack of vaccines and then at the same time asking for more health care workers and then turning down Red Cross vaccinators and then saying to the province, other provinces, hey, have you got any spare workers? So, you know, it feels like there's still some politics and maybe more politics involved in this response more than there should be. And and we've also got, I think, a lot of questions. You, you mentioned the the lockdown measures over the you know leading up to the weekend, and then you know they reopened the playgrounds and and erased the notion of police powers to pull people over to ask them where they're going. Twenty four hours later, you wonder how where that comes from. Uh, how much thought is going into these lockdown measures and these restrictions? If right after they're announced, somebody goes, wait a minute, that was a bad idea. Let's unannounce them. And change them, and you had members of the, the provincial vaccination task force uh, over the weekend saying they've come close to resign because you know the, the focus on closing parks and playgrounds and public spaces and restricting outdoor uh, you know uh, get-togethers, which they don't disagree with, but uh, you know it's largely more about the ability for people to enjoy fresh air uh, and questions about whether that's a significant transmission point, as opposed to 
uh, focusing on sick leave, focusing on, uh, you know, congregate settings and workplaces where the infections are taking place. So a lot of questions, I think, about, you know, the, the uh, I guess, you know, the sort of straight line thinking and logic behind the Ontario position. And you're hearing some of the people who have been very supportive of it start to question it now. And so I'm watching over the next week in particular what the dynamics going to be, t- be between the federal government and the Ontario government about uh, how much help do you need, what kind of help do you want, and whether or not Ottawa starts to get far more, um, I guess, pointed in its desire to help Ontario. You even had uh, some suggestion with one of the ministers over the weekend saying, you know, the the conversation around invoking the Emergencies Act is starting to pop up again, so we'll watch for that. Yeah, no question. All right, let's talk about Aaron O'Toole, the Conservative leader, I, I think it's fair to say, has had a tough few weeks going back to the to the party's convention a few weeks back. And last week, of course, he introduced his climate policy, which included, for the first time in Conservative Party history, a price on carbon. And he's getting Not some... Not a carbon tax, Mark. right. Yes. Not a carbon tax, a <laughs> carbon levy, because a tax is only something that goes into government coffers, not that goes into your newly created, uh, managed by some private company, points award uh, savings account. Of course. Um, so that has created, of course, a backlash from some conservative stalwarts who counted, on, I think, on O'Toole to continue to oppose any form of carbon pricing. Um, and it raises questions about whether he's keeping the party together. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's, you know, the, so two things to say about that. I think really for people, you know, listening is, um, you know, is the the, the argument around the, the word, is it a carbon tax or not? He's priced carbon. Uh, I think everybody was pretty clear when conservatives were saying we're getting rid of the carbon tax. They thought there wouldn't be anything like a carbon tax. In other words, that people would not be forced to pay an additional price for fossil fuels that they now pay under the Liberals. But that's exactly what's happening. So it's a, call it what you want. Conservatives are in favor of a levy, but they would divert the money. You'd, you'd collect it in a, uh, a savings account. Uh, so it's, it doesn't go into government coffers to then be rebated uh, to Canadians in those provinces where the federal backstop is in place. So that's one one thing. So now at least the Conservatives are pricing carbon. That's what the people who want to price on carbon say. So that's some movement. But then on the other side, when you hear that there are these concerns coming out of caucus about uh, not knowing uh, most Conservative MPs what Aaron O'Toole was going to announce till he announced it, um, what's that? Uh, that makes you think that you know many of these things when they're when when leaders take these decisions they're they're done at caucus meetings they're floated with the MPs ahead of time they said look here's what we're thinking of doing as the the leadership team uh, you have a good you know rousing caucus conversation about it and then you move forward or you don't if there's going to be a big pushback the idea that the caucus would be many of them most of them caught off guard by this policy announcement suggests, okay, what's actually going on there? And, and, the, and the question for me is, is, is it sustainable? In other words, when you get into an election campaign and when you have policies you're putting in the window, you need everybody on the team on side with the policies. And if they're not, they start to be your biggest enemies on the campaign trail because they're not either actively uh, campaigning to push those policies and put them in front of Canadians, or they're they're actively talking against the policies, and both of those are not good for you if you're trying to win an election campaign. Yeah, very good points, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see what the federal budget brings this afternoon. All right, thanks, Mark. Take care. We'll talk again. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. The budget has to respond to the reality of today. 
And the reality of today is this is a country under a lot of stress. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At globalnews.ca, Mike College argues the federal budget amid the COVID-19 crisis will set the agenda for the next election. College writes, the government will likely use this budget to do whatever it needs to reinforce its base. Maybe if Canadians were in a more disruptive mood and looking for change, we would see a budget that was focused on reducing taxes for lower income earners and increasing them for the wealthy. But that could kickstart a more vigorous discussion about the future and the role of government, something that neither the public nor the government are in any mood for right now. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacourt argues, Aaron O'Toole's new climate change policy is more blue than green. Delacourt writes, It's a plan designed by and for people who believe government won't save the world, but shopping just might. It's the old cut-to-the-goods-and-services tax wrapped up as a climate change proposal for a new leader and a new decade. The Conservatives are betting that a more-shopping, less-government approach will work as well in the climate fight as it did in keeping the party in power from 2006 to 2015. In the Hamilton Spectator, Jeff Russ argues the federal government is on the wrong side of history on China. Russ writes, A government that publicly commits itself to defending democracy and self-determination would not shy away from standing up for Taiwan. The refusal to officially treat Taiwan as a truly independent country is diplomatic posturing. The fantasy of an amicable relationship with the benign People's Republic of China has to end. The Chinese government is not our friend and will not be, regardless of how much appeasement takes place. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. While the federal budget will take much of the attention today, MPs in the House of Commons will be dealing with a key piece of legislation at the centre of the Trudeau government's agenda for reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, after question period today and before the budget speech, MPs will turn their attention to the government's bill C-15. C-15 is a Trudeau government's legislation aimed at bringing Canada's laws and statutes into alignment with the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. The bill is a central element to the government's commitment to reconciliation. Now, a previous bill addressing this issue, an NDP private member's bill supported by the Liberal government, ran out of time and died on the order paper in the Senate before the last election. The new government bill is being studied by the Commons Committee on Indigenous Affairs. On Tuesday, the committee will hear from its sponsor, Justice Minister David Lametti, and Crown Indigenous Affairs Minister Carolyn Bennett. But the bill is facing resistance from both Conservatives in Parliament and some Indigenous groups outside. Some Indigenous groups say that the wording of the bill is such that if passed, it would actually restrict Indigenous rights in the future, as opposed to expanding them. The Harper government opposed actually signing on to the United Nations Declaration, arguing, as some Conservatives and some provincial natural resources ministers are, that it will block future resource development. The debate focuses over the concept that governments must now seek free, prior and informed consent from Indigenous communities before pursuing any project that affects their rights and territory. So, Mark, the debate and the bill's fate will be a crucial one to watch. Thanks, Martin. Also today, as we've discussed, the Finance Minister, Christia Freeland, will present the federal budget in the House of Commons. We'll have full coverage on CPAC. And the Prime Minister will chair the Cabinet meeting before he attends the budget speech. And that's CPAC Today in Politics. 
for Monday, April the 19th. Again, tune in to CPAC throughout the day today for coverage of the budget and primetime politics tonight. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.